When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And thanks for joining me for another episode. Right now, I'm joined with a 20-year veteran journalist and obviously a friend of the network and a cannabis futurist, widely respected in both modern media and drug policy circles, was the Denver Post's first ever cannabis editor in 2013. You may remember the cannabis. And he's been so minded by now. And as of late, he has been operating uh, one of the more aforementioned uh PR agencies out there, or a journalism mine agency called Grasslands, and we love to go and work with uh, him and his team, where there's a lot of clients to get the chance to go and join us here on the network, a lot of great names and voices out there. And joining me right now is the founder of Grasslands, a journalism mine agency, the founder and CEO, Ricardo Baca. Welcome back to the program. What is up? Thanks for having me back, Brasco. Hey, my pleasure. I know we had you on NCIA a few weeks, a few months back, actually, matter of fact, but there were a few things that came across that in this time around, we wanted to go ahead and touch base with you on, and we'll start with the most current. One of the things I saw that was very interesting to look across the board was we just had in Denver, Colorado, which in Colorado you are based, was the MAPS conference or the Psychedelic Science Conference, which had 12,000 12, people attending the show. And you were on LinkedIn. I saw that you were kind of making some mention of it. Did you go to the show? And what can you tell me about you know, from the people that you know that went, I like to get the idea of the cross section because from when I looked at the speakers, the attendees, the sponsors, there are quite a few cannabis related companies and kind of cannabis related folks that made their way to speak there or participate at the show. It was a good scene, man. Um, I was fortunate enough to make it over there a few days. Um, multiple colleagues were over there. I know I wanted to see Andrew Huberman and a couple other panelists um, and, you know, it was just kind of, um, it, it was pretty powerful, recognizing that MAPS is reporting that they had roughly, um, you know, 12,000 attendees. That's massive. It's the biggest psychedelic conference in history. Um, and, you know, it just really is a signal to where we're going with this industry. You know, at Grasslands, of course, when when we first launched six and a half years ago, I always knew that we would always, 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 always be involved with the global cannabis industry, but I also knew that um, that's not where it would stop. And so we really have loved expanding our work into the psychedelics world. Um, and we've represented, you know, research-based nonprofits, drug development companies, and even um, religious organizations applying under RIFRA um, for legality. Um, and uh, it has been such a joy to be able to learn more about this space, more about these substances, these plants, these mushrooms, and these straight up chemicals. So, uh, and and PS23 really was a natural outgrowth of that. And how wonderful to have that uh, right here in our own backyard in Colorado, especially since we just decriminalized statewide in November. 
and are currently setting up the infrastructure for legal psilocybin mushroom care centers, which should open for the first time in 2025 in Colorado, making us the second state to the punch uh, after Oregon, of course. Well, in the same way that cannabis was opened up for markets, the, the first mar- uh, one of the first markets to go ahead and open up for business was Colorado back with, prob- uh, you know, what was it, uh, back over a decade ago, and now we're back to the same thing again, back being the forefront of psychedelics. One of the things I noticed, obviously, you know, being in media, obviously we've always talked a lot about media portrayal, and even why I even set up a, a was our we had our USCC Expo event, we actually had you you know, front and center at a panel to talk about media portrayal. But I want to ask the same thing now, when we look at what cannabis and how the uh, the portrayal is, we always get hit pieces out there and things like that. This time around the psychedelic science conference, I saw articles specifically long ranging and very detailed from Vox and Rolling Stone talking about it and looking at what they're saying, very positive and a lot of things. I want to just take one thing from Vox is, you know, they talked about the sanity of it all. That the logistics ran relatively smoothly. It was a lot, 11 tracks. I don't even know how they did it, but they did. Audience behavior, members were mostly behaved. Uh, haven't been offered illicit substances even once. And the talk of inclusion, you know, they talked about the cross-section of psychedelia might optimistically suggest a synthesis between the bacchanalia of the 60s and the straight-laced bureaucratic vibe familiar to today's conference culture. So they're saying that, you know, unlike with, there might be a different vibe and a different feel to cannabis conferences. Obviously, there's a professional component, but that the media is more welcome into psychedelics. What do you say? You know, I think if we kind of zoom out and look at that uh, 10,000 foot view of the coverage of psychedelics and compare it to a similar time frame uh, in cannabis's early days of decriminalization, legalization, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that this this conference showed a level of maturity and a level of thoughtfulness that we didn't necessarily see in those early days of cannabis. But I also think that psychedelics can also thank cannabis for coming first and helping get some of that out of the way. You know, Brasco, I think about um, back in the early, you know, 2010, 2011, as those activists and advocates in Denver were getting ready to put pen to paper to write Proposition or Amendment 64, to put it to the will of the voters in 2012. And then, of course, those sales started on January 1st, 2014. You know, at that time, nobody had ever legalized weed adult use um, uh, recreationally. And so that was really transformative. And at the same time, they did what they thought they could get away with at that time, meaning, you know, what was polling favorably. They knew that just straight legalization, that was going to be a challenge in its own right. And they also knew that some of these other elements they wanted to get in there, uh, like social equity clauses, like um, what else might it be, Uh, you know, uh, um, social consumption, things like that, mm-hmm. they knew that if they put that into the, the amendment, but into the ballot language as it existed, they would have had a hard time passing that initiative right. back in November of 2012. And so cannabis really came along. Um, those early initiatives, those early pieces of legislation were incomplete. Um, everybody knows that. And now we're, we've seen iterations, not only in the state house in Colorado, Washington, Oregon, some of those early adopters, 
Um, but we have seen uh, new markets come online with more thoughtful iterations, taking into consideration uh, things like social equity and public consumption and delivery immediately off the bat. And so now that you have this kind of foundation that cannabis helped build, now psychedelics can come along and ideally benefit from that experience. It, it, it also helps that these are two vastly different industries right now, as we know, you know, anybody 21 and over can walk into stores all over Canada and many states east to west coast in the U.S. and buy recreational cannabis. And that won't be the case for psychedelics for a very long time. Uh, we're talking about legalizing under therapeutic modalities. So this is uh, going in and using um, psychedelics with a therapist, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. Um, and so that's really what we're looking at in Colorado and Oregon, which is obviously even vastly different from those early, early medical marijuana infrastructures like what we had in California. So I do think that that uh, psychedelics and this industry, this movement is moving along really briskly. And it is a professional setup. You have to be, especially when you're talking about clinical trials and going for that FDA approval. Um, you know, but I, I do, I would argue that psychedelics has a lot to thank cannabis for in terms of right. really laying an important foundation of knowledge and experience. And when we were looking at this about 10 years ago, like you said, with Prop uh, Prop 206, the, the idea was that we, we were looking at what Colorado was going to be doing. And Colorado wish, I'm sure Colorado in retrospect, if they could have, they could have passed the kind of legislation that New York did. Because that's exactly what you're kind of saying with that. New York did put the extra parts that they could. But it's like, you know, I look at the way where when you're trying to get into something here, you know, it's the negotiations, the demands are very high, but then you have to just go ahead and you have to go ahead and basically bring it a little more generic, a little more pliable so that it can get passed so that the government legislatures that are not aware of what's going on here can get to that. And like you said, the framework for second Oaks to go through taking a bit of the same road that cannabis has laid out is absolutely right. But the other difference that I remember when one of our shows we had launched here on the network last year, and he made the point, it was like, it's when the light switch hit for me. We don't need to worry about Congress to approve. We just need the FDA to approve. And basically every year, the FDA will approve a new form of treatment, whether it's psilocybin, whether it's MDMA, whatever it might be. They're all waiting to just get those put across to approve. And once it does, the doors open. And when states want to legalize it, they can. And that's the part that just said to me, wow, I can see where you're going to see a a ramp up much quicker for psychedelics. And I think it's also where I imagine investors are getting much more involved, but then I think the same people that invested in cannabis anyway, are looking to invest in psychedelics. When you looked at who was there at the show, did you see a lot of familiar faces of cannabis that you were surprised that, wow, there's more people that came for this. And even though it's in Colorado, yeah, right. But it wasn't just as, you know, exploratory. It's because they were actually getting ready to go and put some money in. You know, I actually was not. I wasn't sure what the scene would be like because I've been to a couple psychedelics <laughs> conferences where the overlap was pretty considerable. Lots yeah. of cannabis professionals at the psychedelics conference. Um, this one, you know, there were there were there were plenty of us certainly. You know, running into old school friends from California and Colorado, without a doubt, there were some there. Uh, but more than anything else, it was new faces. And I loved seeing that because I think uh, we we all can agree that 
all of these spaces that revolve around progressive drug policy reform, we really do um, need that infusion of new talent mm -hmm. uh, to really um, make sure that these industries can thrive, but also can move forward in a responsible manner. So yeah, I was a little bit surprised I didn't see more familiar cannabis faces in the audience at PS23, but um, at the same time, it was great to meet so many new friends. In fact, my colleagues and I hosted a party on the Thursday night of PS23, uh, the Grasslands Nightcap. We had like 250, 300 people over to our office, and it was a total jam, a really good party, spilled out into the parking lot, nothing but good vibes. And, and again, just great to meet so many new collaborators and friends. And I look back and I see even Rolling Stone was talking about the fact of just the kind of conversations being had there. So when Rolling Stone was at the show, they mentioned how PS23 participants confided that state-by-state -state rollout of recreational cannabis in the U.S. had been a mess or disaster, they would call it, marred by conflicting regulations, corruption, and the exclusion of the exact communities targeted on the war on drugs. And same thing that can be said with there are a couple of things that happened with psychedelics in the same way. But it obviously feels like people just know there is a quicker on-ramp and a more acceptable community, even in the mainstream for psychedelics. And I think, do you feel like that is for those that are looking in the space? I mean, are you surprised at the, at the media coverage that's out there and for people that are out there and just getting what kind of message they got from it? Because first of all, everybody talked about the magnitude of like 12,000 people being at this show. It's a big event. A lot of celebrities were in, in that event. Aaron Rogers speaking at the show. And let's say Etheridge performing at the show, or Texas for, former Texas Governor Rick Perry also appearing. A lot of that there is like, okay, these are not people that you would necessarily say, okay, they could always put that kind of stigma on cannabis. Oh, you know, reefer madness, stoner culture kind of feel to certain people in the space. But I don't think you can really do that kind of picking apart of high profile people that were at this event. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I wasn't surprised by the media re response to it, but I think one thing that's necessary to include about that, because you're right, you're talking about this being a faster on-ramp than medical cannabis was, you know, 20 plus years ago. And without a doubt, um, you're. I think you're right there, but I think it's important to note that this is also going to be a significantly smaller market for a long time. Um, you know, uh, especially even in the old school medical days of California, we all know that was kind of de facto adult use. It wasn't that challenging to get the medical license to go buy legal California cannabis. Um, that was a big market comparatively. And, you know, your average consumer was making maybe one to two trips to the dispensary every month. And when we fast forward and look at what's about to roll out in Oregon and eventually uh, in Colorado, you know, the idea with psychedelic assisted therapy, um, uh, as we've seen in some of these early clinical trials and from anec anecdotal evidence, is that oftentimes this is kind of one and done. Maybe it's two or three sessions, but it's definitely not one or two trips a month to the mushroom store. Um, this is a different modality, a different type of legalization. Um, so I definitely agree it is a quicker on-ramp, but it's a smaller uh, total addressable bar market for at least right now. Um, and at the same time, you know, things will change in the future. Who knows where we're going with this with this industry? But, um, you know, it, it was exciting to see so many thoughtful 
um, not only celebrities, but, you know, um, podcasters and authors um, at, at PS23. How, how amazing to see Huberman talk, to see Pollen talk. Um, and of course, Rick Doblin was everywhere in the white suit, no less. So uh, uh, it, it is very exciting what we're looking at. And it is the dawn of a new era. And from my perspective, we just need to keep going uh, and keep decriminalizing and legalizing more drugs. Because, of course, as we know, these never should have been criminalized to begin with. Right. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So the word after this conference has really stirred up a lot of different stories. And so now the media is definitely using psychedelics as, you know, they could be used as a clickbait, but they're also using it as, as a very trending topic. So we're looking at just across the board from, you know, presidential candidates wanting to decriminalize psychedelics and cannabis. They're also making that claim now, you know, stumping for voters. The same thing goes for, you know, Benzinga also writing about it. They're also talking about if there's a good comparison with cannabis that, you know, the path to legal psychedelics, cannabis is often mentioned as a test case. They're both scheduled, but is cannabis's route a useful marker for the one that psychedelics might take? And then, you know, even the fact that, well, first off, I want to just think about that part. And they mentioned in Benzinga's article that while it's been the initial focus of decriminalization has been the focus of many reform efforts, local initiatives in various cities have aimed to decriminalize the use of ethanogenic substances and the initiatives seek to shift the legal framework from a punishment to a more health-centered approach. So while we're waiting for the FDA to go improve various treatments, in the same way we always talk about the criminalization of cannabis, could psychedelics get that same argument, but actually get it passed? You mean from a federal perspective? Yes. Yeah, you know, it, it does look like the path to legality, um, or at, at least FDA <laughs> approval, is is going to be faster for psychedelics than it will be cannabis, which is both thrilling and depressing and frustrating. Um, you know, we're talking about all of these plants and chemical compounds and mushrooms. This is medicine, um, you know, but but to, for the Biden administration to start saying last year that there's a two year on ramp to legal um, psilocybin and MDMA for medical purposes and to, to have them still ignoring the fact that cannabis is still scheduled as a schedule one substance under the Controlled Substances Act. Uh, it's still federally illegal. It's it's a big swing and a miss, in my opinion. Of course, we we should be decriminalizing, legalizing all drugs. Uh, no 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 qualms about mm -hmm. that. However, it's just unfortunate that cannabis is still being ignored in this conversation because you have a sizable industry in this country. I mean, how many hundreds of millions, billions of dollars are are we seeing uh, in sales? And yet these responsible businesses, these players are still getting absolutely screwed over by the federal government, not only the IRS, not only the banks, on so many levels. 
And so we really need to see some sort of federal rules and regs and legality reform. Um, We need to end cannabis prohibition right now um, as we are marching toward ending the prohibition on psychedelic substances as well. The other part that's also the cross-section is the research development for the fact that you know, you have Johns Hopkins University that was there at the show. We actually, uh, our Beyond Psychedelics program, they actually interviewed Matthew Johnson from Johns Hopkins and their psychedelic research uh, facility. And then we also know the Stanford's also put out information about that. And, you know, and also with Johns Hopkins, we also talked to uh, Albert Garcia Rumeau. Uh, we mentioned him uh, from a previous episode as well. So the thing is, there are a lot of very standout institutions, medical institutions that are just, you know, the best of the best that are doing the research and actually put a lot of money and resources into the study. And even the FDA last week has issued new draft guidance highlighting key considerations and that it's describing basic considerations that, you know, they see initial promise as potential treatments for mood, anxiety, and substance use disorders. It's just great news. And, you know, now we're seeing it and they're saying, even though they're still investigational, sponsors evaluating the therapeutic potential should consider unique characteristics when designing clinical studies. So the government is now getting a little more of guidance. They're just being much more open and flexible with psychedelics than they ever were with cannabis. But with cannabis, you struggle to get product to be able to do research, to get any kind of you know scholarly institutions to go ahead and do the research on it. There's always been the tough part of that. Even when you have the FDA, you know, you know, just trying to get them to do the hemp bill, they've always been there's always been a pushback on it. But the FDA, for whatever, psychedelics, is it anything about I don't think it's lobbying effort. I think there's just something there as to why psychedelics is being put in a little more curry more favor. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think it's 100% because of these early clinical trials that are showing so much encouraging evidence in these early days, um, especially as it relates to MDMA and uh, psilocybin, you know. Um, You're right that it does all come down to research. um, And right now, uh, it's easier to do um, high-level, clinically controlled uh, uh, research on psychedelics than it is cannabis, in part because of that that kind of um, challenge that still exists for weed. You know, I think of our friend Sue Sisley suing the DEA because she did a two to three to $4 million study on cannabis and veterans with PTSD, but she was forced to use government grown weed, which does not resemble the flower and the cannabis being grown in the modern market right now. And it's just a, a sham how the U.S. federal government has really um, maintained the prohibition on the plant by prohibiting even uh, top tier academic uh, research on on this plant. So yeah, the the psychedelics industry and, and maps is of course a very big part of that. Um, has been a lot more successful at getting these phase two, even phase three clinical trials through, and that is what garners FDA confidence. Um, that's how the, you know, that's how GW Pharma passed through Epidiolex, uh, the world's first plant-based pharmaceutical drug to ever be approved by the FDA because the others are synthetic. You know, they did that by doing clinical trials and uh, that's that cost them millions and millions of dollars and uh, the cannabis industry doesn't really have that right now. When it comes to the impact that we already know, we already know there's a lot of great impact and a lot of you know, effects that are positive for cannabis. But when you're looking at the fact of some of the things that really do stand out when it comes to psychedelics, when you say, okay, 
that it's able to go and do real treatment when it comes to anxiety, substance disorders, PTSD, depression, like just some of the things. And, you know, for getting rid of serotogenic respir- uh the SSRIs, the, the, you know, the medications that, you know, therapists or, you know, behavioral types will be giving to their patients, psychologists or psychiatrists, those kind of things to be able to replace this with something much more organic and natural and be able to have this chance to do this here. You know, even the fact that you're having where they said psilocybin and MDMA are breakthrough medications or treatments, breakthrough therapies. Let me quote that correctly. And doesn't mean that the clinical evidence shows a substantial improvement over standard treatments for a particular medical condition. To You know, the whole talk about the opioid crisis, all talk about SSRIs and all these medications are not good for the kids. The kids that are still, uh, there's still a suicide rate is a bit increasing right now among younger people. We want to be able to curb this. If this was something that was being offered, a ketamine clinic or, you know, MDMA or, or you know, ayahuasca, whatever it is, if this treatment can help to, you know, in some of the studies I remember reading from was Imperial College in the UK, it could not only just, treat depression, but get rid of it. That's game changing would make such a big difference. And then, you know, that wouldn't even make any difference in terms of, you know, curbing anything with cannabis because cannabis can still be used in some parallel fashion along with psychedelics. I don't think there's any, you could be doing that. So it just looks, there's a lot of promise there. Do you feel like that's going to be something that's going to be continued? And do you think that, you know, the path to legalization it's starting to become where, you know, it's like the hair and the tortoise. It looks like psychedelics might go ahead and take the lead and might go ahead and get past the finish line. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, what is the finish line, though, really? I think the finish line isn't isn't there until this is available and legal uh, throughout the globe and readily available to anybody who needs it. So, I mean, I think we're okay. far a long way from that. But to your point, I really do see the progress uh, that we're seeing with psychedelics in the research realm, uh, continuing to, um, uh, you know, to to evolve, really. And I, I do envision that we're going to be seeing some successful phase three trials and some very encouraging things here. And uh, that is why the Biden administration is already talking about eventual you know, um, legality and pathways to access. Um, I don't think there's any way to go backwards. I, th- I don't think there's uh, putting this toothpaste back in the tube either, um, and especially because this is just powerful. I know I was talking to some researchers at the party that we hosted during MAPS, and <clears throat> and one of them just made the point. They're like, you know, cannabis is a powerful medicine, and it, it's used to treat so many conditions you know, and that's how we verb that. That's how we uh, phrase that in the conversation around cannabis, medical cannabis. It's like qualifying conditions. Um, so it treats conditions. But what these researchers were saying is that psychedelics, depending on the, the thing that you're talking about, but we're starting to use the C word, the cure word. So you can treat the conditions or you can cure the malady or the disease and that's really powerful. So I think that's what people are looking for to see how real is this? Is it treating or is it actually curing? Because in some circumstances, we are seeing people with a devastating PTSD um, be cured of their PTSD after one, two, or even three um, experiences with psychedelics and therapy. It's really powerful when you think about it, especially 
given how awful some of these diseases can truly be. I mean, I can't even pretend to understand the terror of being a veteran and being revisited by right. some of those awful and tragic memories um, since they've given so much to our country. Um, you know, and and so to actually be rid of that uh, would be truly something. And I know that's part of what we're seeing anecdotally. That's part of what we're seeing in some of these clinical trials. So may that progress please continue. May we learn more and may we eventually uh, grant access to this to everybody. And I like the fact where you put that where I think if you have for veterans that are dealing with PTSD and just if they have options as well, if, it, if cannabis might not be the one thing that might be the end all be all that will help them most effectively, if psychedelics is a better form of treatment, we should have both treatments available and make it where let's see what works best and, and you know, have the right people that are going to be there to go ahead and provide the care and help and, and just offer more than just, you know, one option. Let's see if there's also multiple options. Let's get rid of other medications. Let's do the same thing here. I think that's very important. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. In the political front, Ricardo, there was a story from Insider.com where, uh, you know, very outspoken Democratic Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez actually talked about how she spoke to the Washington Post about that President Biden already has a bit of a regressive and questionable feeling on cannabis policy and moving that forward. So the fact that we, you know, we have bills bipartisan both sides. We've talked about it on Blunt Business plenty of times. But the thing is, is that nothing's been moved forward. And that AOC has talked about that President Biden might derail a bipartisan push to address psychedelics because of his past rhetoric on cannabis. And she says, quote, that he's displayed a regressiveness for cannabis policy. And if there's a regressiveness, regressiveness towards cannabis policy, it could be worse on anything else. And you know, she's trying to remove federal limits on scientific research for psychedelics and a block for the study of the drugs. So kudos to AOC for being sounding the alarm for this. Also trying to do work in New York state to go ahead and get more research done. So that's great. But there are just, there's just people in power that still just do not understand the benefits here. And, you know, does that sway interest in voters? to say, okay, we need the right people in that are going to go and make these changes. The ones that we already know, people have already written about, already set up bills, you know, giving the right guidance to say, FDA, go ahead with what's going on, with what are you making plans? The the research is proving the point, started proving what's necessary in medications out there, and let's get this out to the people. You know, what we're hearing from our, from our clients and our partners and our friends in D.C. inside the Beltway um, is that it's it's really a question of political capital. Uh, and any president or any political figure only has so much of that capital to swing around. And um, it's it's pretty clear, especially after the last few years, that cannabis is not at the top of Biden's list uh, where he's choosing to spend that political capital. So I'm thankful that there are folks like um, AOC, like uh, Earl Blumenauer, um, you know, even Ed Perlmutter, who just recently exited Congress last year, right. you know, I am so thankful that we have those loud voices there to keep this top of mind um, when the president of the United States is not keeping it top of mind himself. Uh, reminds me of our governor here in Colorado, you know, shout out to Colorado Governor Jared Polis, because he was in the U.S. House of Representatives for many years 
And he was bringing up safe banking for many years and putting that out there, really positioning it front and center. Even at one point, I remember back in my journalism days when I was reporting on the cannabis beat for the Denver Post, uh, you know, at one point, Polis positioned a bill that would have uh, put cannabis federally under the ATF. So yeah. it would have been the Bureau yeah. of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Cannabis. Uh, right. You know, of course, that failed, but we really do need these national leaders standing up and and beating that drum, not only for their localities, you know, um, Perlmutter in Colorado, Blumenauer in Oregon, AOC in New York, but also for the for the uh, federal infrastructure in general. We need to uh, move beyond this. And of course, as you know, Brasco, we're at a really important time because President Biden last year did ask uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, alongside Attorney General Merrick Garland, to do a reassessment of cannabis's scheduling. Right. And as right. we know, it's so wrongfully scheduled, but it also could be more, uh, uh, you know, it could be scheduled in a worse way if we go Schedule 2, Schedule 3, as opposed to purely just descheduling it. So uh, there's a lot hanging in the balance right now, purely with that decision. You know, we know we're not going to get federal legality anytime right. soon. Um, however, if we could deschedule this, that is a huge move toward federal legality, toward the repeal of or the appeal of uh, IRS tax code 280E and so many more hindrances and hurdles that are so unnecessarily standing in the cannabis industry's way of actually making a bigger difference in the communities they serve. So there's, I'm going to unpack a few things there. When it comes to Jared Poles, we're going to talk about him in just a second. There's more to talk about him in the, in the case. But when you're looking at those out there, I'm going to just say myself, I think there's a lot of policymakers that are getting the right idea and they're they're, they're backing the right deal when it comes to bills and it's bipartisan it can be on the on the republican side what nancy mace for you know the bills or it was cory gardner and then on this side now you're seeing where aoc is now teaming up with uh, representative dan crenshaw again these are both high profile you see them on camera you see them in interviews constantly people know them in the the national sphere and they're also looking to further broaden the ideological coalition in congress about addressing the growing interest in psychedelics so i can see where they're going to put a bill together to make it where the FDA goes in and pushes across legislation. But I think what's wrong is that at the very top, whatever information is being given to President Biden, it's not it's the wrong information. And there's a lot of posturing because not only did he have that part where, you know, the possible looking at the scheduling, but there was also the whole story about, you know, dropping cannabis convictions. But there was for federal convictions. And when there were most of these convictions are on the state level or the local level. And those it was I mean, there might be some things that are said about that. It's like, again, it might play good in terms of visuals and in terms of just placating, but there's not really anything behind it. But there are people underneath him, the policymakers, his congressional people that are trying to do something. So and then the same thing goes when I always talk about the fact that with legalization, you look at the three senators now, uh, Senator Schumer. Booker and Wyden. And I remember Schumer always likes to go back. And I remember it was a story, I think it was a Politico, where he mentions the fact that, you know, I wasn't sure what was going to happen in Colorado. And then I see what happened in the last decade. And that made me clear that cannabis can be legalized where he did put the front to push it in New York and get it legalized, you know, and get uh, Governor Cuomo to go ahead and sign the bill. But then at the same time, make it for to a nationwide rollout. Now we just have to wait and see what goes on. But when you see this here, 
again, another bipartisan effort. And psychedelics gets the same chance. What uh, the, the, give me talk to me about the promise of this, where we're seeing the same thing again, where Congress is trying to do the right thing here. If they could just get the bill written and get it uh, with cannabis, the bill's already written. They got several bills. And then when it comes to and then the efforts they try to get the bills passed, whether it was safe banking going through the National Defense Authorization Act, or you know, like I said, some creative ways, even with Jared Paul's creative ways to try to get things done in the easiest way possible. But you know, we're getting a, a gridlock at the top. Yeah, I guess I would push back on one of the points you're making, Brass, sure. because you're saying Congress is trying to like work this out. Congress is trying to make this happen. And I don't think they are. I think okay. a few people there are. <laughs> but for the most part, Congress is sitting on its hands, um, ignoring the real world experience around them. You know, we're coming up on the 11th anniversary of legal weed in Colorado. Mm -hmm. It's like there's a lot of public health data at both the state and federal level that these Congress people can look at and dissect any way they want. But no matter what, it points to cannabis legalization being good for communities, uh, not being a danger for youths. Of course, we're dispelling a lot of these prohibitionist narratives every day. So they're just not paying attention and they are sitting on their hands. And, and in my opinion, they're very much not doing their job. So, um, you know, when it comes to like every time safe banking comes up or even the Booker Wyden Schumer bill, um, you know, of course, we have to be enthusiastic and we have to support organizations like the USCC, the United States Cannabis Council, um, as well as NCIA, the National Cannabis Industry Association. We are proud to support both of these organizations. Um, they are NDC. They are working on our behalf. And at the same time, it's hard to get your hopes up after uh, session, after session, after session, and right. very little progress. Um, so yeah, I, I really think that we need to hold our legislators and our lawmakers more accountable because they are leaving legal markets in California and Massachusetts and Colorado, and they're going to D.C. to do the work, and they're forgetting who they're representing, uh, and which is wildly unacceptable mm -hmm. uh, and straight up pisses me off. Well, I think part of it is to with those policymakers, part with is with cannabis. I think one thing most importantly is the lobbying money that goes into them to make them be persuaded doesn't help. I feel like there's a difference with can with, with psychedelics because of the fact that if you're getting in the same way they try to do with cannabis, you're getting some real high profile people that are actually able to go ahead and gin up the votes. They can get the media narrative spun out there. I think you can make a, a better sell for psychedelics than you can for cannabis because of what's of the your years of, you know, downplaying and negative press out there about it. Psychedelics, you know, if they're going to try to go into any kind of a stigma, they're going to go back to what the sixties or something like that. And, and try to go and do something with that, but you know, come off with Timothy Leary, some kind of things about LSD, they could try but it's, you know, there's a, I think it's a different time period for that. That's why I'm, that's why I bring that up. I know cannabis has already gotten that across the board. We have not been able to get anything pushed or move forward. I mean, God bless the NCIA. You see them trying to go out there with, with their lobby days events, but it's like, are we getting anything back? Cause I'll go talk to them. I'm like, can we, what are they telling us? You know, it's a matter of there's no push, there's no movement. Even AOC in the story, when she talked to the Washington Post, she mentioned that in 2019, she introduced legislation and one lawmaker under anonymity says, is this your little shrooms bill? So there's people that were 
obviously there's a lot of criticism, but to the fact that now we're starting to get more people talking about it and it's more of a positive light. I mean, you're right. I don't see anything where there's any change, but all I can go is for some kind of optimism that this is one of those things that, you know, once Congress is finally in one way or the other, there's a majority that can actually get things done because right now it's so divisive in the House and the Senate also in just a split. There's just not enough of a supermajority on any side to do anything. And once they get to that point, you just have to let the, the election cycle just play out. And if one side or the other gets to it, I think there's bipartisan support anyway for the of these. But right now, the current setup of, you know, Congress and the presidency, they're not willing to get there's not enough support to get it across the board for psychedelics or cannabis. And until that happens and maybe a little more lobbying money, then we'll see a significant change. Well, I'll throw this out there. And I know it's not always the most popular opinion, but um, the fight for legal weed is still far from over. And way too many cannabis leaders are acting like it is purely because their mom and pop shop in, you know, Oregon is doing just fine or their MSO based out of New York is hunky dory. But really, this fight is still um, very much going on. It is a fight against us. Um, as our friends at Students for Sensible Drug Policy used to say and still say, uh, you know, the war on drugs is a war on us. And this war is far from over. So we need to stop acting like it's over, like we won just because we've uh, legalized some states and we need to be in these people's ear. Um, you know, the the squeaky wheel gets the grease, uh, give us the grease, but we won't get that grease of legalization of tax reform of banking reform unless we are the squeaky wheel so we need to stop acting as if you know this is this this conversation is null and void oh we legalized cannabis great no we haven't this is still federally illegal and all of our businesses are suffering massively in part uh, mostly because it is federally legal one of the things I also want to bring up, uh, if we're going to just wrap things up, is just that the Veterans Administration, I should make this point that they also mentioned in the Insider article, and this is back in January, that they are partnering on drug trials to study how psychedelics can help with PTSD and other disorders for veterans. So there are organizations within the federal government that are making the attempt. We don't necessarily need to worry about Congress right now for psychedelics legalization. And I still say for cannabis legalization, that's three to five years down the line at the earliest and maybe safe banking in the next year, but you know, Perry can just wait on it. But that's why I think that's also the discussion that's important here, because those that are listening to this program that are looking to invest, they're trying to figure out, okay, we can wait for states to continue to green light. Interstate commerce is still something we can't do yet until there's a lot of things that are going to stunt a little bit of the growth. There's still a growth spurt going on, but it still is a controlled spurt. We just have to wait for each state to get to get a green light. And then, you know, there's just a way to keep doing it, but it's hard to be able to do any, any kind of a real national footprint. The one thing I want to ask you before we wrap things up is what you've been doing for yourself in terms of the psychedelics space, where the Greeley Tribune I'm taking this from, uh, back in April, they opened up with a, an advisory board now. And this is the Natural Medicine Advisory Board that has been set up under uh, the help of Governor Jared Polis. And the idea is that it'll be a role in how the states 
psilocybin-assisted therapy industry takes shape, offering recommendations to the Department of Regulatory Agencies, writing rules to govern the manufacturing, testing, and application of psilocybin and psilocin, the active compounds in magic mushrooms. And one of those board members, uh, I want to say, is joining right here. Ricardo, you have joined as a board member. Talk to me about, well, there was also the fact that you also sit on boards for Colorado Public Radio and for SPORE, the Society for Psychedelic Outreach, Reform, and Education. So about yourself and your own personal involvement in psychedelics, talk to me about, you know, what you've been doing in the space and what this new board appointing uh, also entails. Yeah, of course. It's very exciting. Um, still kind of new. I guess we're four months into it or so. But yeah, yeah. when Governor Polis appointed 15 of us on this Natural Medicine Advisory Board, he ultimately charged us with writing those regs and rules and policy for the um, you know therapeutic infrastructure ahead of us. Um, it's a seven-year appointment for me. I sit on a couple different subcommittees, um, including the uh, harm reduction subcommittee and the indigenous use, spiritual use, religious use subcommittee. Um, and it's I, I sit on there with some really amazing professionals. Um, it's mostly PhDs, uh, but it's also some law enforcement, uh, professional EMT um, world, as well as some people who are in that um, <clears throat> in that world of uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy or various modalities of therapy. So very smart people on the board, very big and important work ahead of us. And, you know, everybody is welcome to join the meetings. They are all public, <laughs> which is why I can only talk about limited aspects of it because this is a state government initiative. And uh, it's really important that all of these conversations happen in a publicly available forum. And so would highly recommend everybody check out the state of Colorado's website because that's where you find them. Um, really interesting conversations happening right now uh, on all of those things that you just mentioned, Brasco. So thanks for the shout out and a uh, uh, big shout out to my colleagues on the Natural Medicine Advisory Board, some, some really amazing people on there. And ultimately what we're doing is just writing those regs and rules um, for the market ahead of us, which will be dictated um, by the language of the ballot initiative itself. And uh, of course, the the recent rules that were just created by the state legislature in the last few months. Fantastic. Well, and I really, and I know you're in there for a four-year term, so it's just a matter of where things go. And I'm glad the governor decided to put this group together. And again, along with the legalization of Colorado, everything's all set in play and ready to go. Really wonderful stuff. And as we wrap things up, I want to go ahead and give you a chance to talk about grasslands, which, uh, by the way, I must say, you know, working with the folks that you've had with Rebecca, with Gretchen, with Molly and with Lauren and, and all that we work with, it's always been great to work with your team. Eric has been so top notch. You've been great to work with and it's always been really wonderful to work with you know, these last few years. And, you know, as everybody knows, a lot of cannabis companies out there. They're always looking for representation in terms of their marketing, in terms of their exposure and, you know, being getting their image out there, the brand out there in the right light. So for those companies, I would always say, if you want to talk about one of the very top of the game, I always would go ahead and give a lot of a positive and high grades to Grasslands. So for those companies that are looking for that kind of help, take a minute to go ahead and let them know about mygrasslands.com and what they should do to go ahead and connect with you and your team. 
Of course. Always appreciate it, man. Yeah, if, 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 if it's ultimately about brands that are looking for that external help. They need that supercharge. Uh, you know, maybe you're not hiring for PR or you only have a limited sized marketing team. That is really when you grow, you've grown to that aspect where it's time to invest in marketing. And oftentimes the best way to do that is bring in an agency because we, you know, when you hire grasslands, you're ultimately hiring 24 people who have your back. Um, you know, so our biggest department is public relations. So when we break down that media paradigm, we're always looking at owned media, paid media, and earned media. So PR is all about that earned media, but we also work heavily in the owned media space with our content marketing program. And we work a little bit in the paid media space in these early prehistoric days of cannabis advertising, but we have a really strong LinkedIn um, advertising program that's pretty dialed in. So I'm really proud of the work that the team does on a daily basis. And I appreciate your kind words. Um, you know, we wouldn't be where we are without really tremendous partners throughout the media paradigm. And you're definitely one of them, man. So appreciate that. And everybody can learn more at mygrasslands.com. When you're ready for that supercharge, when you're ready uh, for that outside boost, give us a call. Ricardo Baca, founder and CEO of Grasslands, a journalism-minded agency. Thanks again for being on with us. Really appreciate you taking time out. Thank you, brother. Always good to see you. And thank you listeners for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.